The Incomparable Podcast, number 35, May 2011. We are back on the Incomparable Podcast. I am Jason Snell, your host. Our topic today is the book series that has generated the uh, buzzworthy HBO series Game of Thrones. These are the books by George R.R. Martin called A Song of Ice and Fire, which is such a ridiculous and pretentious title that it if I'd known that was the name of the series, I might not have read the books. But instead, I've read four of them, and there's a fifth one coming out. So we're going to talk about the books. We will fire off spoiler horns in appropriate places. But basically, if you don't want to know what happens in these books, you might not want to listen to this podcast because we are going to talk about it. How can you not? Everybody dies. There's your spoiler horn. <laughs> Everybody dies. And then he writes poetry for a thousand pages. That's what happens. It's the uh, it's the opposite of that Doctor Who episode. Everybody lives. Yeah, no, everybody, everybody dies. Everybody dies, dies in, in the series. George R. R. Martin series. So anyway, joining me to talk about George R. R. Martin's series of books, those voices you've heard uh, before and you just heard, and they're like ghosts. They they you probably hear them when you're not even listening to the podcast at this point. I know I know when I have nightmares, they're usually narrated by Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Welcome to your life, Jason. <laughs> There's no turning back. <laughs> The song can be sinister, Even see? Even while I sleep, you will follow. Very sinister. Um, Serenity Caldwell, are you acting on your best behavior? I I am. Don't turn your back on Mother Nature. No, why would I do that? I don't know the song. And everybody wants to rule the world except for Scott McNulty. He's a lover, not a fighter. Hi, Scott. I don't want the world. I just want your half. Thank you. Ooh. Ooh, nice. Bravo. Well, well done. That, also, a band beginning with the letter T. <laughs> you can, Is Sesame you can find bands? it in Miscellaneous T in your record store that went out of business five years ago. So, George R. R. Martin. Um, I, I he's start, got a big beard. He's, he is. He's beardy. And a hat. He's often wearing a hat. He, I, I know somebody else who wears a hat regularly, and it's, it takes a special kind of man to wear a hat. I will say this. I have a picture of myself with George R. R. Martin with both of us wearing hats. Oh, see? You can put that, you can put that in the show notes. Great. Was that, was that one of the hat clubs that you were part <laughs> of? Yes, it was, a, it was a hat convention. I believe it's hat squads. Ah. Hat, oh, squads. hat squads. Yes. We both have beards, too. Yeah. His is much more impressive. Yeah, Dan, come to think of it, you could be George R. R. Martin. You've got a hat I'm and a beard. I'm actually the young George R. R. Martin who's time-traveled. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Finish the books. <laughs> we think. I'm trying. I've got I, two I... of me working on it. So before we get started, and before we fire off the spoiler horn, because I want to release a little bit of uh, action here before we fire we it off. told them everybody dies. Yeah. Well, you know, not but quite the, everybody. 80% of the characters die. I mean, which 80%? The series, the series isn't over yet, so it may be that everyone it, it's dies. It's entirely possible. So I started reading these books late last year when I heard... HBO was going to make a series out of it. Uh, I don't know if that's strange behavior to say, you know, read the books now before they become a TV series. Uh, but they've been out there for a long time. The first book was published in 1996. So I'm wondering, when did you guys start reading these books? I, I have a funny story about how I first became aware of these books. Well, we'll be the was, judge was, of that. But go I, ahead. I have a story about the first time I was became aware of these books. Um, it was the first week of college, uh, my freshman year of college. And uh, one of my floor mates uh, and I went to do laundry at the dorm across from us. And there was a girl there reading A Game of Thrones. 
I had never heard of this book, but my friend Brian says, oh, that's a really great book and strikes up a conversation with this girl who I then went out with for like three months. Um, so that so George R. R. Martin has has, you know, got me a date, basically. Because um, you, because your friend had read it? Because my friend had read it. I know. I, I didn't even have to do the hard work. Well, there, Ed, to this day, Dan has not read the books. Anyways, that was the first. I did read them like the summer after that. Um, and I've read them, I guess, only two, maybe three were out at that point. That would have been like 1999, I guess. Um, maybe only two of them at that point. Two. Uh, but I read the others at the, as they came out. Before the fourth one came out, I reread the first three. So I guess that was 2005, six somewhere in there um so yeah i've read the all i've read the books twice except for the fourth one and and it's still yet it's still been like six years since i've read them i was pondering that this very question earlier today so i went to amazon and searched my order history to see if i could figure out when i first read uh game of thrones and turns out i uh i will i ordered the second and third book february 3rd 2003 which leads me to believe I read the first book sometime before then because I have no record of that book. So apparently I either got it from the library or stole it from someone. Um, so that is, and I have no idea why I started reading them, but I read them in 2003 apparently. I read them, well, I read the first one for the first time shortly after Dan in 2000 or so because the writing group that I was part of at, a to at the time uh, one of our members, Robin, was absolutely obsessed with this series and wouldn't stop talking about it. And in fact, I think had written two full-length novels in this universe. And wow. at the time, she's like, I need people to read them. And I'm like, well, in order to read your novels, I, I think I probably have to read the story that it's based in first. So I picked up all three from the library. At the time, there were three out. It was... Storm of Swords is that the third one? I think. Yes, the gigantic yeah. one, the the huge one. Yeah, well, I mean, that was that was alongside that was the same year that I first started reading Robert Jordan as well. So I was just reading all. Yeah, I know, I know. You can make those faces. I was reading a lot of terrible fantasy, um, but this this was not terrible fantasy. This was enjoyable fantasy. But I have to say, until right before the HBO series came out uh, earlier this year, I had not read them since I read them straight through in about a month in 2000. So I'm slowly like going through and rereading them now and I'm in the middle of the second book. And I'm like, I remember none of this. It kind of just vanished from my head. There's a lot, there's a lot there. And then uh, there's a lot of stuff. There's mm -hmm. a lot of people and places and culture and all that. Well, it's very, I read the, somewhere that there's a thousand named characters in the series. Yeah. Oh, in the run up, in the run up to uh, the HBO series going on, you know, George R. R. Martin has said to several interviewers that he intended for this to be unfilmable. Um, irony of ironies that he wanted to make it as widescreen as possible and lots of different stories and huge numbers of characters and complicated and and uh, and then, you know, here they are making a TV series out of it. <laughs> ah, they showed him. Yeah, uh. take that, George. That was that was the one question I, I actually asked him when when I got a chance to, to talk to him was how he kept track of all of that stuff. And he didn't really give me a good answer. He just said, he kind of looked at me and said, that's my job. And I was like, okay, but like, do you use like a whiteboard? Do you have a big <laughs> computer document? What? Give me something. I just like to uh, think of I, the fact database. that he has like a little minion sitting there that's just recording everything dutifully. I've just came up with a new character right now. He, he does have a minion. <laughs> Actually, that, that was the story in the New Yorker, wasn't it? That there's a it guy was. who runs a wiki and has a database and he's in like uh, 
Sweden or something? Yeah, some Scandinavian dark country. country. Yeah, huh. where winter is always coming. And <laughs> and he like apparently now is actually a paid um sort of like how they have script coordinators on TV series. He's like the a paid assistant to George R. R. Martin for these reasons. He'll like send him questions of like who's this who's this guy and and the guy will immediately respond with the answer because he knows he's encyclopedically cataloged everything in all the books so he's like the guy on lost he's exactly like greg nations the guy on lost who has the bible of everybody and who what time they did what on lost so they could do all the time travel stuff yeah he is george r R. martin has that guy minion I i need one of those yeah it's good to have a minion if you can afford one what would your minion do though dan really oh no i need like i totally for a long time in one of my um the series I was writing, I had like a voodoo pad document. So it's kind of like a mini wiki to keep track of oh. because I would forget like a character that I mentioned, um, you know, early in one story would return and I couldn't remember what colors their hair or uh, their yeah. eyes or something dumb like that. And I'd be like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah, yeah. And I have to go back through the whole like last book and try to like search through and find out. That's what I use Scrivener for. It's the same. It's the same thing. I was, I have to say the people who do these uh, George R. R. Martin wikis are laying down on the job though, because I, um, uh, in the fourth book, which I just finished, um, there's a character who's in several of the previous books, Raph the Sweetling. And I was like, hey, he's just sort of like tangentially briefly mentioned and they send him off somewhere. And I went and looked up his his uh, George R. R. Martin wiki page and there's no mention that he's mentioned in that book anywhere. And it's like, huh. come on, you encyclopedic fans. You're laying down on the job here. That just means you have there's- to sign up for an account, right, Jason? Yeah, I really don't want to do that. Although Someone I could have that one on the internet. Someone, you know, it's got to be. It's that way be lies madness. It is. It is. That way lies. Or either that or one guy gets to be paid by George R. R. Martin. But everybody else is just mad. Um, mm. So so uh, we should talk a little bit about um, the setting for these these books. I, I think one of the things that attracted me, in addition to the fact that HBO was going to be making this into a series, attracted me to the series is that I'd heard that it was like fantasy books, but not like your kind of stereotypical you know wizards and witchcraft kind of uh kind of uh, and dragons kind of fantasy book and it turns out that there are dragons and there is magic but it's it's not a lot but not a lot right i mean the first book you get hints of dragons but even then they're they're extinct yeah exactly it's really more medieval fiction than it is right i mean you get the dragons at the end and sort of the the others at the beginning and those sort of bookend it but in between there really isn't much no it's politics and violence and sex Mm -hmm. and and backstabbing and things like that which is is you know humanity a a little bit like it's a little bit like the wire yes exactly medieval wire that's yes. Well, I've, I've, you know, the TV series is a lot like The Wire too, and in, in that it's complicated and there are lots of characters. But you know, The Wire's great. Yeah. Well, and again, they they haven't done much other than sort of you know like yeah. There's only that that little bit in the later books. There becomes sort of more of an influence of the magic coming right, in. Right. But definitely that first book. I mean, I I remember reading through and thinking, wow, yeah. There's there's really not like beyond that sort of prologue. If you sort of forget about that, it only becomes a vague hint um, after then. And people talking about, oh yeah, there's some bad, you know, crazy dudes up in the north or whatever. Well, let's not really worry about that. Well, even with the crazy dudes in the north, I mean, with the others, all you really see, I mean, you get like the blue eyes and the white hair and the crazy thing, but you don't really get the sense that they're anything other than savages. You know, I mean, there's a sort of mystique to it, but you could roll that off as just okay. These are just 
crazy warriors who haven't lived among civilization for years. Uh, I mean, like, it seems pretty clear that there's something to do with, like, the dead coming back. So there's, there is definitely, I think, an element of the other well, world. Well, As opposed to, say, the wildlings. Yeah, I guess towards the end the, of the book, the you get that. But the wild, yeah, the wildlings are just feral. Right. Should we, should we um, fire off the spoiler horn now? One of the things that's most striking, I think, about these books, and um, I, I've been reliving it as I've been watching the the HBO series, is, um, boy, George R. R. Martin is not. He he admitted in in one of these articles that that preceded the show coming on that um, he's playing a, a shell game in the first book that he he intends for you to assume who the main characters are, and it's very mm-hmm. clear, you know, Ned Stark is the main character in A Game of Thrones. And uh, so it's all the more shocking when they chop his head off. I hope someone told Sean Bean ahead of time, or I, else he's I in for he, some unpleasantness. I suspect he signed. I'm a not one, in the second season. I what? I suspect he signed a one-year contract. Yeah. Uh, well, Unless they change a huge tapestry of characters, and I mean that was the thing that was described to me in terms of like why this was a series that was so different from many other series, which was my friend sort of telling this to me, going. Well, the thing about this series is, like, they put people in impossible situations, and you're like, how are they ever going to escape that? And then they don't. Right. <laughs> right. So, so um, you know, the it turns out that the main characters in this series are, um, are like, like Arya Stark, the daughter of Ned Stark, and Jon Snow. It's like the Stark children are our main well, characters. The, the ones that survive. The ones that survive, Right. Not all of them do, and um, and then you know Tyrion Lannister and 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 some of the Lannisters who are the bad characters. Although some of them end up being good characters, or at least interesting, not entirely evil characters. Shades later. of Grey. They're complicated. Which is one of the one of the good things about these books is that you've got these people who you like who do bad things, and people who you don't like who do good things, and it is a mess and not clear. Like going into this, I was thinking about how. You know, I was sort of going through what I remembered from the books and, and remembering that one of my, I don't know if I can call him one of my favorite characters, but like one of the characters that intrigues me the most is from at the beginning of the series is like the most despicable person in the book, which is Jamie Lannister. Like yeah. he throws a kid out a window. <laughs> like you don't get much worse than that, right? But, but he did it because he loves yes, his sister. The things he does for <laughs> a love. little too much. Who is the real despicable character? But, like, as the series goes on, I mean, like, he becomes a little more human and a little less, like, evil villainy, right? Like, you know, he loses his hand in one of the later books, so he can't, he's no longer able to be this sort of great warrior. Well, you also get into his head, you know? Yes, yeah, he becomes a a, a narrow viewpoint character as well, which which does change your opinion of him. Um, And you learn some stuff about his past, about things that he's done that's been sort of assumed to be terrible terrible acts that may have had different motivations and he has this very interesting relationship for a while with this woman brienne yes the maid of tarth which brings out a lot of humanity in him um that is previously lacking and i kind of i kind of dug that and of course the other character i like kind of from the get-go even though he, you're never quite sure where he where he stands is Tyrion. oh man who is also is considered great. maybe mm-hmm. a villain but he's also kind of a good guy in some ways like he's probably one of the more sympathetic characters you know, he never strikes me as a villain he always strikes me I mean, the thing about Tyrion Lannister, which is such a great character, when I heard that Peter Dinklage was going to be playing him, oh, he's perfect. Oh, it's great. So uh, Tyrion Lannister, such a great character, but he's always, you know, he he's got this interesting combination of being very well aware of of um, 
of his place in the world and of everybody's place in the world and in a way that a lot of the other characters aren't. But at the same time, being loyal to his family in the way he sort of defines. But it's fascinating because his family's basically bad. They're bad people and we don't like them. And and so you like him and you're like, well, hey, I like this guy. He's a guy I can root for. But he's loyal to his family, which means he does some stuff that you, that you would really rather not see him do. But the reason he does it is because he's still a Lannister and he does feel like he's got this obligation up to a point anyway, up to the point where he shoots his father shoots his on the <laughs> toilet and kills him. Well, um, he, well. he has this feeling. The thing I love about Tyrion, though, is that he's frank and he's not, you know, you don't you don't get that hidden from it. You know from the get-go that he's loyal to his family, and he pretty much says it straight out. I think in, like, the second or third chapter where um, there he's at the Stark residence and, and Jamie is like, something about, you know, oh, I hope I hope you're not planning on, you know, doing this. He's like, well, why would I ever betray my family? You, I mean, you get these clues from him from the get-go, yes. and he's, and he's I mean, completely frank in every way. I mean, he's loyal to his family in a way that doesn't necessarily mean that he has blind loyalty to the members of his family. Like, I think there's a greater, there's he's a got house. something bigger at stake there, right? Yeah, the reputation, the honor of that right. house. And he, he really protects that even when the people he thinks are dishonoring it are the people in his family, like his sister or his father. But the interesting setup is is that you've got the War of the Five Kings. And um, it looks as if the Lannisters and and Joffrey, who ever you know, at that point you hate him, and he's and he's done all these horrible things, and he's ordered the, you know he ordered the execution of of Ned after a deal was brokered by his mother to just send him to the wall, all these terrible things, and you're thinking, all right, the the Lannisters are going to get it, and Tyrion basically outsmarts everybody else and saves the day and it's really you're in this weird position where you're rooting for the guy because he is such a, an interesting character and he's smart and you want him to do you know do it's kind of well he's an underdog right right you know right he's, except he's what, traditional... he's, what he's doing is yeah. protecting these horrible people <laughs> and you kind of want to be like come on but at the same time you know he he has this code which makes him interesting i also love you know and even in the first couple episodes of the tv show they really bring out this sort of great He's got a confidence that it seems like a lot of people in the show lack. You know, he talks that my love that line, the, you know, the uh, all dwarves are bastards in the eyes of their fathers. Um, it's just such a such a great like he, he knows exactly how other people see him. He also tells Jon Snow at some point like, hey, you know, embrace what you are because it's not going to go away. And the sooner you're more comfortable with it, like the better off you'll be. Um, and I think it's just very, he's got, he's a very smart guy and like, clearly he's worked hard to become that. Um, he's like a, he's like a, he's like, he's a little bit like a Miles Vorkos again. <laughs> he's exactly, that's the first person I thought of when I was reading this book. That's why Scott hates Tyrion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can't stand him. One of the interesting things about the first book is this, um, split storyline where really in parallel with almost no crossover, there's slight crossover, you've got... Um, Daenerys Targaryen and her adventures in the desert where her brother basically um, sells her to the warlord of the horse people um, and and yet and if you haven't read this series it's not quite as weird as it sounds no well, they're not actually horse people oh no they're not they half ride, man half they horse ride, they're like people they who ride, ride on horses. horses it's still pretty weird though it is yeah. kind of weird yeah and she you know her brother has no care and he basically sells her in order to get the idea is to get this army of people to take back their 
their crown, which has been usurped um, across the sea. Um, and, you know, there's some great stuff in there because she actually kind of comes of age. And in the end, she's sort of like the last one standing in terms in terms of uh, she, you know, she's the, the queen of the, well, the horse people, except <laughs> there aren't very many of them left after a while. Um you know, but she's kind of empowered and she's got these dragon eggs that she throws in the fire and they hatch and then she's got dragons. So it's very clear that she's in the long run, you know, one of the major characters, if not the most important character in the books. But um, in the first in the first book and really for a while, she's just in a parallel story with there's like one character. And then eventually I think there are two characters who cross over between her story and everybody else. Well, I mean, she's on the other side of the narrow sea, and a narrow sea can't be crossed by anything except ships, and they don't have ships, so why would it's they? It's a narrow over? sea. But the horse people won't go sea, on. I know. <laughs> well, compared to the other sea, when you when you want to cross a sea, you of course need to get ten thousand mounted warriors, because that makes perfect sense. Yes. All I can say is they can probably see Westeros from their house. Probably. The and thing I love about um, Daenerys, though, is that she starts off that first book as so like almost completely innocent to a certain extent like you have you have her brother basically bullying her and i the the phrase don't wake that you don't want to wake the dragon do you that oh. kind of chills down my spine the first time i read it because i'm like oh shoot this does not bode well for for this character bad things are happening and then she basically gets sold to yeah the warlord horse lord who basically rapes her um yep yep absolutely. and i mean she 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 takes such this marvelous transition between scared girl who's just wants to go back to the the house with the red door that she lived in for a couple years where she thought she was happy to this to a queen in her own right and it's really really fascinating to read that especially interspersed through everything else despite that i can never quite figure out if i like her or not she definitely is like you know i i agree that her transition is really interesting and like she definitely becomes a very empowered figure especially towards the in the later books where she's really like learning how to you know wield that her authority um but she's and she's she's very ruthless too at a certain point but at the same time you know i I can't quite get a sense of whether or not i find her a likable character you know i think the most likable i found her was the first chapter of the first book Mm -hmm. and then as she because she grows colder as she grows stronger and the more the more she goes into this sort of you know queen queenly attitude the farther away you get from this person who could ever be likable because you never really see in her head after that especially after the whole incident with the fire and the dragons i think that's the last point where you ever really see what's kind of going on for her personally and not what's going on for her as a larger scope Right. Well, at, that, at that moment, she was reborn into her birthright, right, as a as a dragon controlling monarch, I guess, and so she transforms from that innocent child, much like the petrified eggs were hatched into dragons. <laughs> huh? Wow, very nice. That's poetic. I like that. I, I like have that. an English degree. Bravo, sir. Thank you. You know, obviously, the Song of Ice and Fire, which again, you know, is I see why it's called that, but it's it's a little bit silly, but um. Clearly, that's, that's ice and fire. That's the over, well, clearly, the overarching story here is that the the battle the battle is between the the dragon lords and fire, and they seem to be the dragons seem to be the only thing that can stop the others, the dragon glass and the fire from dragons. And so you've got this sort of uh, uh, conflict building, and then on top of it, right there, there's also the whole. Um, uh, 
Like there's like the the red fiery god. Yeah, whose name you can't pronounce. Rahilor. Yeah. Why is it that the gods always have weird names in fantasy series? Because they're they're gods. Yeah, but Bob would not be as scary. Yeah, they don't want you to be able to pronounce. There are always apostrophes and and double consonants and. It's a glottal stop. He's basically like a Romulan Romulan god. Yeah. That would be that would be such a twist ending. Oh yeah. <laughs> if it turned Dang. out they're all Klingons. So so that and that's actually for me, that's one of the weirder things. Is not I mean the whole idea of the dragons and the, the heat of the dragons and these ice ice monster creature things, the others that are coming from the north as winter comes. I I, I see where he's going with that and, and it, it's interesting because for a while you're rooting for the you know, you're like, Oh no, not the Targaryens. They're they're bad and they kicked out the crazy king and 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 but it's clear where this is going, which is that that you know Daenerys and her dragons are are the thing that's going to save them, you know theoretically. Um, but uh, the red the red priests and the and and the and Melisander the red woman who and, and the fact that there are like you know kings who just die just drop dead because of the red god's magic. Um, it's that that stuff always struck me as being really bizarre because I I always just sort of wrote it off as I was reading it as being like oh silly silly magic that won't do anything and then you know various kings just drop dead. Yeah, that that was the point at which it like you know I felt like the series moved more into the traditional fantasy realm and I, and in some ways I was kind of disappointed with that transition because I'd really enjoyed the sort of non magical atmosphere up to that point, um, and also because I think one of the other sort of uh, sympathetic characters is introduced in conflict with the, the Red Priestess, which is uh, what's it, Davos. Oh, yeah, C- the Onion Knight. I like him. He's a, he's yeah. a, a likable guy. He's also one Great of those character. just sort of more honorable characters out there. I mean, because, I mean, I guess you can, you can argue that Stannis Baratheon is kind of honorable, but he's also kind of got a stick up his ass. And he gets kind of taken over, too. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, having that in there, you know... It, if I felt very conflicted about that as a as a plot development, um, but I guess it remains to be seen where they where it's sort of where its arc will lead it. Yeah, I you know the thing. I mean, they curse all the other kings, right? And then all the other kings um, die. But what 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 is weird is that some of them die in a mysterious way, right? Ren, Renly gets stabbed by a shadow. Ren, right, Renly is killed mm-hmm. by a shadow, and and Joffrey just sort of like randomly chokes on nothing. Well, he gets poisoned. Doesn't well, does he? he get poisoned though, or do they just they, think he gets? I feel like poisoned. he gets poisoned by the same thing that um the what's his face John Aaron. Um, no, well, John Aaron, yeah, the oh, the, the tears of whatever the tears of lees or lies or however yeah, you say right. it. Well, doesn't I mean? I sorry, I I just reread a lot of the, <laughs> the sort of overviews before this to sort of refresh myself, and they suggest that Littlefinger had a hand in in killing Joffrey. When I read it, I I thought you know are. Is it that they think that that's what happened, or did that actually happen? Right? Is is it that, or did they both get the explanation? Like, were they set up to poison him, except it didn't? It, he got killed by the magic first, my, or something? Right. But my point is that, that that even that, and then certainly what happens at the red wedding with with Rob Stark um, seem a little out of the control. Th- those, of the magic. those are yeah, those are plausible. You can be like, oh well, maybe it's bad luck, or maybe it was a curse. But the the like murdered by shadow. It's just like wow, because <laughs> and also the guy in the iron, the Ironborn, you know, the the king, 
Baylor Greyjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Greyjoy. He he like falls off a bridge or something. <laughs> well, uh, killed by a shadow looks terrible on the homicide report. By the way, yeah, <laughs> death by shadow. I don't know, detective. Shadow. Killed by a shadow. It makes kind of sense though, because I mean, Renly is his younger brother, and it makes sense that of all of them, she would have a direct hand in killing him, and mm. the others. Maybe coincidence, but she can write it off as, oh, yes, well, I did this. I did this, and the Red God answered my prayers. Yes, that's exactly what right. happens. Oh, and I also killed your younger brother. Did, did anybody Did anybody else, when reading the books, get the subtext of the fact that Renly is gay and loves the Night of Flowers? Well, if you don't get it in the books, you'll certainly get it in the HBO yeah, oh, series. In the TV series, <laughs> it is clear. <laughs> but um, although afterward, I went back and I was like, oh, yeah, the Rainbow Guard. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> and and, Whoa, and the night of, and the night of flowers is kind of a pretty boy. And uh yeah, yeah. The HBO series makes it quite clear that 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 Renly and and actually reading um Feast uh Feast for Crows, there are several scenes where I realized that it's totally there all along and I just totally just passed over it and didn't notice all the subtext of how Sir Loras is not not interested in the ladies. <laughs> Except for Sansa. I assumed he was kind of. Uh, I assumed he was kind of like an ascetic, you know. Yeah, no, not well, at least. I don't, I don't. It's been way too long since I read the book, so I, I, I clearly a, did the, not. The HBO the series will make it abundantly clear. <laughs> <laughs> abundantly yeah. so. I don't understand what's going on. You'd, Sorry, Scott. Just ignore it. Yes, the Knight of Ar- Flowers has very pretty armor. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and he's a uh, good shouser. He was. He was buffing his armor for him. Exactly, and advising advising him on how to be a good king. Sadly, he will be killed by a shadow. <laughs> that that is the trouble I have with watching the TV show is knowing all the awful things that are going to happen. Oh to some man, people. I know. Well, it's kind like of in fun. episode two, you're watching like Caitlyn, and you're like, oh man, oh yeah, Caitlyn. Sure, you're like oh man, this is going to go bad. For that you. <laughs> that was the most shocking. Even more than Ned, that was the most shocking death in the entire series. And then uh, even more shocking, got to put it in quotes. <laughs> yeah, well, even more shocking than killing her is that then they re- resurrect her as like a half zombie version of herself yeah Yeah. exactly it's unclear well her throat is still cut so i mean you have that if nothing else that's cool (laughs) another topic i wanted to bring up is the the dire wolves which are introduced at the very beginning and there's one for each stark child and it turns out that several of the stark children have this connection with them which is most i think it's most clear in bran who ends up even though he can't walk he's got this you know vision and and he's proceeding north of the wall to speak to to the three-eyed crow or something like that and john and and uh john snow has this ability to where he's sort of bonded with uh, his dire wolf and area and area too, and yeah, area and too right even though even mm-hmm. though hers disappears fairly early on but it's and yet it, it's present throughout because they keep on wandering around through the riverlands and they're like, man, there's lots of wolves around here and a big one too, and it's very clear that that's her dire wolf. Surprise, surprise! But you we know, never see it; it's just out there. She, she, I'll throw out that she's one of my other favorite characters. I love Arya she's also because she's actually the like one legitimately like innocent like victim basically in all of this, and and she, but she also kicks ass, which is yeah. the other part. Well, what I appreciate is that she's capable without being superhuman, you know? It's like she still she still has bad things happen to her, and she still gets in bad situations, but she manages to pull through and use what little training she has without making her, you know, oh, I've had, you know, six months worth of dancing lessons, therefore I'm a master at the tiny sword. Right. Yeah, I got sad when they sent they put her on the boat to she ended up on the boat to what Bravos or whatever, yeah. and mm-hmm. I was like, Man, you're taking her farther away from everything. <laughs> 
Yes, or is she closer? Hmm. I think she's farther away. Oh, she, yeah. she she meets Samwell Tarly at one point. That is in, that is true. in that fourth book. Oh, I like Samwell Tarly. He's Samwell Tarly. That's a great character. He's the cute. fat coward. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's but he's smart. It's like it's like I'm in the book because I'm a fat coward. He's like Sam Gamgee. I, is it wrong that I picture him as Sam from Lord of the Rings? No, I totally like, is he do. Sean Astin. Sean Astin. He's totally I, Sean I absolutely Astin. do. That was the first thing. It's it's awful to say to compare it to another character, but it has to be intentional. Well, and there Samuel. are several other references. Yeah, in there's one of the other things I came across in the Wikipedia entries is like there are several references to the Wheel of Time. Um, like there's even there's like a character named like like some some anagram of like Robert Jordan or something. <laughs> right. It's just so, one of there the are a lot, there's homage in there to other to other fantasy series. That's that's why I can't stand the whole Red God stuff is that it reminds me too much of Wheel of Time in parts like the Ace of Day and like stuff like that with the with the Red Priestesses and I'm like I this I really hope it doesn't go that direction. <laughs> not not having read the fourth book and uh, only skimmed the Wikipedia entry for this podcast. Well, <laughs> and, and that's something actually I want to ask you guys about because I mean. This is always the danger, especially with like long fantasy series. Is we're we're in the middle, right? Like, and and Martin has delayed a number of the books, including the most recent one. I mean, this is the first book in again what six, six years, years, seven right. years, Coming yeah. Out in July. So, right. So, I guess the question is like, are we in for a disappointment? Or you know, are any of you worried that this series is going to sort of peter out? Like, I mean, I don't know if he's got. The whole thing. I assume that he's got you know a lot of stuff planned out, but I don't. I mean, I also assume that it's not like the whole thing is planned out. Otherwise, you know, the books would be written. Um, but I don't know. Do you, I, I've been. I've read a lot of fantasy series where it's like it starts out good, and then you can kind of tell that the author ran out of steam or ideas, um, or it just got so convoluted um, that you sort of lost the thread. And and I start to worry about that with this. And there's there's three books left in mm-hmm. theory. Three yeah. books. I mean, I don't know. Does it, is that anybody else worry about that? Or are you just kind of like living in the moment? Well, I think that that's always a danger, right? When you have some kind of, and especially when it's it's so successful and people, so many people are so excited about it. And I can't imagine the the pressure that George R. R. Martin feels as he's sitting down to write these books because so many people are excited about it. And I'm sure that's on one hand very exciting, but on the other hand, awful because you know there are websites that are devoted to just like finish the damn book George and all that kind of stuff and people read his blog and if he mentions he's doing anything other than writing they're like you shouldn't be watching football you have to finish your book and uh who, who he you know it may suck who knows but does I, I, he yeah that's rough and i don't know like, and there there seems to be a little bit of people feel that George R. R. Martin yeah exactly they feel that he owes them something and he doesn't really owe us anything. It's he's writing his own story, and he's going to finish it exactly. It's just like the last episode of Seinfeld, right? That uh, many people think that was awful, but uh, that's the way they wanted to end it, or the way they ended Lost, which George R. R. Yeah. Martin himself did not care for. You know, I think that um, I think that if if we aren't willing to take a chance on somebody who's writing an intricate, you know, three thousand page story 4000 page story however long it ends up being and you know then all we're ever we're never going to get it right we're never going to get anything but a 400 page book and I, what i like about these books is that um they really feel especially the first 3 that you could just stack them up and just read them in fact i bought the first two on the kindle and it was an omnibus edition and i just kind of blew through both of them 
And, um, it, you know, it, it's one story. It's not like there's a novel, a standalone novel here. Really, it just keeps going and presumably will go to the end. And I love the ambition of that. And I'm willing, because the quality is so good, I'm willing to take a chance um, because I like that idea that he's trying to tell this huge story and it's one story in all of these books instead of it being a series of adventures one by one. Um, that said, I, I think this Dance with Dragons book is going to tell the tale because it's, you know, Feast for Crows is almost like a a, a stalling tactic. Well, it's half well, the story. half of the same book, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, and it's not even that anymore because he's actually added, apparently Dance with Dragons does advance the plot from Feast for Crows. So, um, and he said that if they get to that point in the TV series, they'll basically have to stick them back together. Um, but so, so the people who were, had their stories told in Feast for Crows, their stories presumably will advance a little bit, which is good news, I think, because it would be a shame to wait, you know, in more years to get the, those, those cliffhangers resolved. But, um, I think that'll tell the tale because Feast for Crows for me was a disappointment because it was half a story and, and, and because it introduced all these new characters and you missed a lot of the old characters. If, if, but if Dance with Dragons is like Storm of Swords, which is a thousand pages of good stuff, I feel, I'm going to feel way more confident. But right now, having just read Feast for Crows, I'm like, oh, wow, that was a, you know, not necessarily a misstep, but it was like not much of a step. Well, and I think he was feeling yeah. a lot of pressure. He needed to get something out, right? And so he just cut it in half and said, okay, take this. Yeah. Leave me alone. Right. I mean, if we hadn't seen Feast for Crows, it would have been like, what, like 12 years between yeah. novels? Exactly. <laughs> we couldn't figure That's out. That's a long time. time. I don't know. I think on the whole, I mean, I enjoyed reading the books in 2000, and I am enjoying reading them, rereading them now. And I feel like as long as I am enjoying reading the story, even if the story goes to bad places, I will still have had all of that enjoyment. I don't feel like I've wasted my time. I agree. Which is kind of my feeling on Lost, too. It's like I didn't care for the end of Lost, but I enjoyed watching most of it. And then, you know, okay, the ending sucks, but it doesn't mean that I've wasted, you know, six years of my life. That's and true. And I mean... The worst thing, what's the worst that could happen? You just have an, un, like, you know, at the end of the, whatever the last book is, the last chapter is Bob Newhart wakes up and it was all a dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bob I mean, Newhart's Song of Ice and Fire. It, oh, it's, nice to, it's nice to get an, a, a good, satisfying ending, but, you know. No, it, I mean, I, I agree. I'm not, I'm not suggesting by any terms that I'm going to give up on it. Like, although I did do that with uh, The Wheel of Time. I think there was a point for me where it was like, and, and I worry about this with this book too, you know, Dance of Dragons comes out. And again, I spent so much time like having to refresh my memory because I couldn't remember what happened in the first four books. Do I want to go reread them before the next one comes out? I don't know if I want to read them a third thank time. Goodness I have to do it again. Thank when... goodness for Wikipedia. Honestly. No, no, it's very, Seriously. I mean, it's certainly a lot more helpful than, and like well, I felt very much in this the case, last time. They the, have their the own, out, their own wiki them. too. And as much as I Josh about them, not, paying attention to the presence of Wrath the Sweetling in the Feast for Crows. Hello! <laughs> um, that was great, actually, the wiki of Ice and Fire, because I would read a name and I'd be like, oh, what the hell is that? And I would look it up and I'm like, oh, right, that guy! And it's great, because I wasn't going to go back and read, you know, 2,000 pages. And I will also say, thank God that HBO is making a TV show, because that makes it much easier to refresh my memory for yeah. earlier things. Yes. Well, and, and I think, you know, to a certain extent, Despite whatever happens with the end of the story as a whole, what's nice is that there are characters that have arcs that essentially get completed, you know, many of them with their deaths. Yes. But, you know, th th there is nice, there, there is like 
basically resolution in smaller doses as it goes along. So you don't feel like, oh my God, there's all of these threads. Now, granted, he also starts new threads, but you know, I think that's kind of what's what's fun about it is it's almost like in some ways it's almost like spying in on like a like a like massively multiplayer RPG or something. Well, I was <laughs> you see all the little lives of all these guys going around. In the, in the New Yorker article, I think he says something that I actually thought I actually told my wife this while I was while I was reading um Storm of Swords. Um is he said he wanted he wanted a story that was like great historical fiction, but that you didn't know how it turned out, and that's yeah. exactly how these books feel to me. It's like you're reading this history of what things were like and these amazing events that occurred, and the only difference is you can't you know read a book about the War of the Roses and then go to Wikipedia and look up what happened to everybody because uh, it's not there. It's only in you got to read the books as he writes them, and I love that that you can't peek. You can't find out what happened. It feels like historical fiction, but you can't find out who lives and who dies. You have to as stick with it. As long as, God forbid, George R. R. Martin does not die before the end of the series. <laughs> the thing that's nice about the TV, about the format, too, is because the, the books are divided character by chapter, which is, I have to say, is really nice, having read other epic fantasy, when you just have other chapters that begin with, like, 12, 13 and you have no idea whose point of view it is at first. These books at least state very clearly, this chapter is Arya. This chapter is Catelyn. You know exactly where you are and you know exactly where you can leave off, you can pick up. And if so choose you want to skip chapters and just follow one person's story, you could do that. I mean, you'd lose out on some of the piecemeal stuff, but you'd still be able to do yeah. that. They also cheat a little bit in that some of the characters uh, change names. <laughs> Yeah, including in the headings, including in the headings of the chapter. Yes. So More you might miss one or two, but that's only when he needs to be clever and and keep you guessing about what's going on. I so we were talking about favorite characters, and I I, I tried to get in on this, which is that I love I love I mean Tyrion I think is my favorite character, but right behind him is Jon Snow actually, who I love. Mm -hmm. It's just a I, I think is a great character who is going to become I think ultimately. Um, other than maybe Daenerys, I think the most important character in the series. I agree. I think John is John is kind of the closest you have to the like heroic character, right? I mean, for right. the most part, other, he's other fairly than, you know making an oath not to sleep with people and then sleeping with women and and yeah, and you, then you and then totally betraying them mm. and having them die and. We'll write that off as I mean, but as, uh, still as 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 far as all of the characters go oh, yeah yeah he does he has this very strong you know code of you know moral code in many yes. ways and well he has the hero he's journey. also again he's the underdog too right like he's the bastard you know who's gonna make good right. he has powers presumably. he has magical wolf yeah. powers magical wolf powers um and i don't know if you um one of the most interesting things about Jon snow is that his his parentage is shrouded in mystery. Oh, that's right. They had that was a great scene in the TV show. Oh, I'll tell you about your mom next time I see you. Yes. <laughs> wah, wah. Sorry, that's <laughs> not gonna happen. I laughed. I laughed out loud at that scene because I was like, "Wow, that's so." Sad. At least because Ned and Robert know. know. Oh, oh, oh no. wait. Oh, it's oh. not gonna. One of the little pieces of the world that I really love is the naming of the bastards. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, that they're all called after the sort of dominant feature of the region yeah, they're like, from. Which is great. So the snows Nouns or the names. stones or the rivers. 
Yeah. I just I re- I think that's a great touch and it's one of those little things that makes me really enjoy the world that he's built. Yeah. And I think that's something, you know, we've only touched upon a little bit as the, the world building in in Song of Ice and Fire is awesome. It's like probably the best thing about it in my opinion. I just love the setting, the world I think is really interesting. I mean, everything from going from the wall, which is such a crazy insane like especially, you know, you see it in the first time in the TV show and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, it's pretty big." <laughs> It's a giant wall made out of ice. Yeah. Mountains upon mountains. <laughs> best snow. It's the best snow fort in the world. The thing I really like about the world is that it's all done tactfully and kind of behind the scenes, where you don't really notice that you realize that you know so much about the world until you're, you know, two books in, and you're like, "Oh, wait, I have a really great picture in my mind of what this all looks like," and I never had to sit through ten pages of exposition, right. you know, vague third person telling me how lovely the trees are when they bloom at night, you know. Well, you're t- you're taught about the world in a way that doesn't feel like you're being lectured to, which is, you know, it's it's funny. I had that realization when I was watching the TV show and trying to explain who some of the characters were to my wife and 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 I realized that, you know, I would never have been able to me- memorize the various families during the War of the Roses or, you know, any other kind of medieval series of you know, battles between noble families and yet i'm like oh yeah i can tell you all about the targaryens and the starks and the and the baratheons and and the lannisters and what their symbols are and what their colors are and it's like how did i learn all this stuff when it's 2000 pages of george R. R. martin history teachers should take a a leaf from this book if only it were real teach westeros <laughs> in schools that'd be a great bump that'd be a great bumper sticker by the way teach westeros <laughs> westeros <laughs> What would Tyrion do? <laughs> Probably, you know, double cross people yeah. snapped in the back. <laughs> I also love the do. number of the number of shifty characters. Yes, um, you get like Tyrion, you get Varys, uh, yeah. uh, Littlefinger. Like, there's such great characters who are who are clearly all about intrigue and subterfuge, and that's kind of refreshing. And not all of them are, you know, stereotypical like like insidious characters evil yeah i love that Littlefinger says to ned's face early on in the first book just like you shouldn't trust me i'm the person you should trust least and ned still trusts him and then when he gets yeah. betrayed he's like i told you not to trust you like i i said it what do you want from me also characters who like to push other characters out of windows yes Defenestration. Yeah. I win. McDonald beat me to it. Defenestration. That's right. Twice. Such a lovely word. Twice. Isn't that that? That's like the climactic scene of a storm of swords, right? Is that is that after all of that trouble to get to the airy, um, the oh yeah, shoves Lisa, 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 Aaron right out the window. (laughs) Oh, she's dead. This yeah, really... talk about and talk about super creepy characters. Oh, she's God. definitely up there. Yes, crazy. Well, she makes a grand entrance in the HBO series. Let me tell you, <laughs> she really does. Well, I was wondering how they were going to do her introductory scene when I was rereading the book. I'm like, they they can't possibly put that on. Oh no, no, they're going to put that yeah. on television. Yeah, you see her sitting on a throne, and her you know kind of like ten year old son is sitting there nursing on her while she's. Oh man, it's, oh, it's my so God. creepy. <laughs> oh. It makes me wonder, I was going to say, you know, it makes me, there's a pretty interesting scene at the end of Game of Thrones with Daenerys that I was like, man, I can't wait to see how they handle that. Tactful fire. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it is HBO. It's HBO. I don't think there even needs to be. Tact. No, Tact. They, they, haven't, they haven't shown themselves, like, willing to pull punches, really, which is kind of refreshing in some ways, but also, you know, 
disturbing in others. The the amount of, su- well, not even subtle pornography in the books always throws me, where it's just like, oh, wow, okay, we're, we're going into a chapter, and then, oh, yeah, someone someone's getting raped, and they're getting raped in great detail in this book, and it's not even subtly or otherwise implied that these are these are underage children or these are like people who are far you know it's it's they don't pull any punches and it's it's very it's a little disturbing i have to say it's bothersome to read not to go back to the the that new yorker article again but some another you know it's a great article and and i'll put it in the show notes but it's um he says you know it's a reaction to the kind of glossy fantasies that people have about the the medieval period he said you know people were you know people were married off young and and that you know 12 and 13 year old girls this stuff happened to them it was not this kind of fairy tale kind of existence and and especially he said these fairy tales where the the working girl um tells off the prince he's like yeah that didn't happen if that happened they would be dead or more likely they would be raped and then dead and so he wanted it to be that ugly that people get put into arranged marriages and they can't do anything about it and they're stuck with it and it's miserable and you know and and so um, he put that all in there and it's oh, it's yeah, ugly. There's a, there's a, that's right. Yeah, there were some brutal scenes very early on. I mean, like I was, again, I refreshed because I just watched the second episode, I think, of the TV show the the scene where Arya's uh, fencing with the the butcher's boy. Oh, the butcher's boy. Oh god. Yeah, and then. Joffrey, of course, shows up and ruins everything as his his want. Um, but the butcher boy basically gets ridden down later and killed by the uh, by Sandor Clegane, the dog. Yes. Um, and you know, it, it was you know an innocent, basically a, a kid who did nothing, right? Yeah. Like you know, he just got on the wrong side of royalty. <laughs> that and the and uh, the killing of Sansa's uh, direwolf too always makes me really sad. Where you you don't even really get to know that the the wolves that much at that point in the story and you don't really get to know sansa that much although you seem you think of her kind of as a little bit of a priss of all oh, of yeah. the starks but at the same uh-huh. time you can't help but feel for it's just like oh this that's that's terrible oh, joffrey's so handsome yeah <laughs> yeah sansa stark annoys the crap she's, out of me. <laughs> she's frustrating she gets better in the second book in the first book, she yeah, makes you she's wanna... still one of my least sympathetic yeah. characters. I think. I think on the whole, um, Arya and Bran actually. I like Jon Snow a lot, but Bran, Bran kind of. I have a special place in my heart for her, for him a little bit. Um, I don't know if it's the climbing or the, or the the wolf connection or what, but he he just he's a very interesting character. The three eyed crow. Yeah. <laughs> I always want more about Rickon. No Aww, one, no one gives him the Rickon. time of day. I don't know. He's... He he seems like bad bad things are in store for Baby Rickon. <laughs> oh, he's off with his frog eating friends, right? They're going somewhere. I don't know. That's one of those cases where it's like, well, I have too many characters. I'm going to send some of them <laughs> off, and we will never see them. Or just hide them somewhere well, he safe. Might, where they he can't... might end up being the uh, the king of Winterfell. The only alive person at the end of the book, right? I read the last chapter. Yeah, everyone else dies and he walks back in. Hey! (laughs) I was just, you know, hiding off screen. And he wins the Game of Thrones. That's right. By (laughs) default. Would be sad if the Game of Thrones ended in a tie, wouldn't it? There is only... (laughs) But you either win or you die. Isn't that the... Jason, there's only one way to win the Game of Thrones, and that's not to play. Ah, that's a good lesson. 
Thanks. I came up with it myself. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. So, so we've talked about it all this time. I guess I should ask the question. Um, you know, obviously to read all of these, you must have all enjoyed the books. Are they, you know, where do they, where do they rank? Are they, you know, are they fine? Are they okay? Or are they some of the better stuff? I mean, they keep talking about Martin as the American Tolkien, which is awfully high praise. And so I'm just wondering, is it, is it deserved? How deserved is it? How good are these books? I think that it is difficult since it is one large story. It is difficult to judge it until it is done because I think that it, I mean, clearly George R. R. Martin knows how to tell a story, right? So I think it's enjoyable. I like reading it. I wouldn't have read whatever 4,000 pages of it if I didn't like it. Um, it's a lot of Kindle dots. It's a lot of Kindle dots. And I read it before the Kindles were around. So it's a lot of heavy books. Yeah, I didn't realize how long Storm of Swords was until I had read like a million pages of it and saw that I was at 2%. <laughs> exactly. They're long books. It, it requires, uh, you know, I'm uh, dedication. Invested. Yes, and especially since it's not done, it's, it's even uncertain, right? Because you never know. Uh, so I, I think that I, I don't know if he's the American Tolkien. I don't really like Tolkien, so that may uh, color I hope my not. opinion. <laughs> so I hope he isn't exactly. I think he's very good, and I think that it is so unlike all most other fantasy. Well, especially fantasy of that time when it was written. Now there's a whole bunch of more fantasy that is kind of like this. Uh, that it certainly is an important series in in the world of fantasy uh, and uh, enjoyable. But I don't know what his lasting legacy will be. I was kind of going to say exactly what Scott oh. said. I think I think the proof's going to be in the pudding once the, the rest of the volumes come out. I agree. You know, he's a good storyteller. Um, I've been very engaged by all the books. Uh, I think in... in I, I would put him up there as one of the fantasy authors I really like. Um, there are maybe a couple others I like more and that might just be having, you know, the scope of the other books in terms of the way that, and, and things like, I feel like they might have a little better sense of humor and stuff like that. A lot of, a lot of Song of Ice and Fire is very grim, yes. <laughs> which is not to say it's not enjoyable, but like, you know, it's nice to have a levity break every once in a while after like you've seen countless people get raped and murdered, you know, nice to maybe, you know, soften that up with a, with something a little... A little nicer. Cheerier. Like a wedding. Oh, wait. Let's murder everybody at a wedding. <laughs> everybody loves a wedding. That's what HBO... Oh. Imagine the promotion for HBO. They're going to be like, the wedding episode. Yay. Come and watch the wedding. As Hail everybody time. dies. These musicians wedding. Yes, these musicians are not very good. I wonder oh, why. Oh, no, crossbows. Um, anyway, so, you know, I, I've enjoyed it a lot, but I really... I think, you know, in order... I think the the ending needs to he needs to stick the ending. Like I think that's that's what it comes down to for me. If it really turns into like, you know, you can go back and and look at the whole the whole the thing as a whole and say, "Wow, yeah, this was a great story." I mean, will I recommend this to my friends once it's all out and I've read it from start to finish and say, "Yes, you know what? You can you can On in good conscience I can when it's all out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can recommend to you this excellent book series. Um I mean, I, like, that's the question. And I think, Jason, I think you and I might have had a conversation about the past is like whether or not an, a bad ending sabotages everything that comes before it. There are, there are numerous books and TV shows and movies that I have recommended, even though I felt like maybe the ending fell flat because I felt like the, the beginning, the journey of getting to that point was still worthwhile. Right. And and Ren was talking about Lost earlier, and while I well I disagree in certain, uh, I really like in many ways the Lost ending, yes. or I, I liked it a lot more than a lot of people. Me um, too. 
I didn't feel that it, it undermined the rest of the series for me. I felt like that was still enjoyable in its own right. Um, but it's hard to tell somebody to invest all the time in watching a six season series or a, you know, seven books, read a seven book series. Um, if the ending is kind of a letdown. Right. <laughs> so I, I'll, you know, abstain from judgment until that point. Well, I hear it get compared to Battlestar a lot, actually, where people... Not, not in a... Yeah. See, that's the problem, is that the ending on that, for me, fell flat, and I can't recommend it to people. I Like, there's some really great stuff in there, but I feel like, as a whole, the end of that series really crushes a lot of the beginning of it for me. But, Ren, generally? Generally, I mean, the thing about... Epic fantasy for me, while I, once I get hooked into a, a story, I will end up reading it. Epic fantasy is not my preferred genre of oh, choice. Mine neither. Yeah, but I mean, but I, that being said, I really enjoy reading these books and I am enjoying rereading them and I will probably buy the book in July when it comes out and read that as well, presumably that I'm finished rereading all of the books by then. Uh, and I mean, on the whole, yeah, it's definitely a wait and see game, but in terms of, I mean, what he's put out so far, I like, and in comparison to other unnamed epic fantasy writers of the last, you know, couple decades, he's definitely, uh, higher up than them. So that's, that's where he registers for me. All right. Um, Dan, you mentioned other fantasy novelists. Um, I'm wondering, do you rank, uh, uh, The Name of the Wind above or below this uh i think they're they're very close for me they're very different stories in many ways i mean like they're both fantasy i feel but... like they're very different camps you know i mean uh i mean there's a lot more magic obviously in name of the wind it's a lot more focused on that it's a it's in theory a smaller scope series even though it's it's a very long <laughs> book um if, if he actually manages to finish it in a third book um it's also focused very heavily on one character right. Um, which is a which is a major difference, um, but it is I I appreciate that it I find it a little more even though bad stuff happens and bad stuff most assuredly does happen, um, it's a little more measured. There's there's more levity, you know. I think that that makes it in some ways a more uh, oh if enjoyable is the right word, but like it makes it in some ways more fun to read, <laughs> um, but it maybe lacks some of the scope or the like intense historical like depth and grittiness that the song of ice and fire has so i don't know it might be kind of an apples and oranges thing but i like i like both of those writers quite a bit and they both have trouble getting out long books so i sympathize before we go i wanted to ask you um a, so a dance with dragons right mm-hmm. is coming out july 12th it was finished today right 2011 it was finished as we record this podcast it is finished or so they claim the way, so they i'll believe it when i see it does anyone else think a dance with dragons would be really awkward? Like, like I'm thinking like a high school dance. Yes. Yeah, like all the dragons on one side, and I mean, all the just others on the other side. side. All the cooked corpses yeah. on the other side. Other <laughs> yeah. side. Very awkward dance. If you're a dragon lord, you know, if you're a Targaryen, it would be an awesome yeah, might, dance. Yeah, you'd be crowned like prom queen. <laughs> yeah, of course, everybody else would die. The prom king would be horribly slowly murdered by a poison blade but hey you're the you know, of the ball what does it matter these things happen you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs dragon eggs ah. Oh. Ah. after they've been roasted in fire am i right <laughs> so right so i uh, what dance with dragons you're gonna you know place your pre-orders and start reading it on july 12th are you gonna wait and see what, what what's the anticipation level 
I don't know. I'm gonna <laughs> buy it. I'm gonna buy it. I'll read it. I, it's just a question for me of whether I really want to go back and reread the earlier books first, or if I'm just gonna sort of catch up via synopsis. But I, I can guarantee that I will read it. <laughs> I have pre-ordered it. It will show up on my Kindle, and I will read it. I will not reread the books. I really have no idea what's going on. I read the synopsises, but synopsis half of the things you guys talked about, I had no recollection of. <laughs> so I'm just going to jump in and hopefully remember things. So we'll, we'll have a podcast in memory of, of Scott McNulty after he drowns in A Dance with Dragons. <laughs> it, Scott, like you, it will be appearing magically on my Kindle on the morning of July 12th. Ooh. And I look forward to it. Um, but that's why I, did, I waited on, on, uh, on the previous book <laughs> until... Uh, until recently, so I wouldn't be completely at sea when uh, I got to Dance with Dragons. Waiting but forever. The wiki, the wiki uh, helps, Scott. That's whenever you get you somewhere, know, you're like, "Who is that guy again?" Yeah, I, just look it up. For, for pleasure reading, I'm not doing research. I'm not going to a wiki to figure out who somebody <laughs> is. I'll just be like, "Okay, I don't know who he is." <laughs> well, I, I, I that was it was a good refresher for me because then I didn't have to go back. And like, look at previous books and see if I could find where they mentioned the guy. I was just like, it, look on the internet. It that doesn't matter that much is. to me. It doesn't matter. I don't care if oh. Lord High Valurian is related to <laughs> Ned Stark and he stole a dragon baby and that's why the king is bad and everyone has to go get him and oh no, Lord, who cares? Miss all the subtitles. Lord High Valurian. Who knows? He's There's very, no subtext. He's very, of houseful he's very pretentious. Exactly. Look it up on the wiki. I'm adding an entry right now. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> also, while, while you're there, put in the, the thing about Wrath the Sweetling. Because they totally missed that. You're so strung up over this, Jason. You know, I, I expect my obsessive, uh, completest George R. R. Martin wiki people to know more about characters mentioned in the books that have been out for years than me, who's reading it in you know, woefully late in 2011, and they let me down. Raph the Sweetling, he's like one of the people that Arya prays for their death before she goes to sleep at night. I, 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 I got to... I, uh, I have no idea. I got to share with you... Uh, I just I just happened to look up the, the blog post that I wrote when I actually met George R. R. Martin, and I, I, I found that I had quoted an answer from him that I had forgotten, which I quite enjoy, which is, when I asked how he keeps track of the elaborate storylines and numerous characters in his series, George replied... I've been living in this world since 1991. These characters are more real to me than most of the people I meet. I mean, I'll forget all of you in 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so George R. R. Martin, I, I think in, in one hour we could perfectly well cover all 80,000 pages of this series, don't you? Oh, yes. It's done. <laughs> done and dusted. Never need to revisit it. Never. No. Except, you know, in a couple of weeks when we talk about the television show. Right. And when we talk about the next book. Shh. Damn it! <laughs> All right, well, so there there you go. We've covered everything you ever needed to know about the Song of Ice and Fire. Um, except for all the parts we skipped because it's really long. Um, and A Dance with Dragons comes out in July, so uh, we'll check back in after everybody's had a chance to read it and and uh, and talk about it a little bit more, about what we've been waiting for. Some of those characters have been hanging on the edge of a cliff for like 10 years. The fingers They're get really tired. tired. Really tired. I have no idea who they are. Yeah, who? Uh, yeah, you're gonna go. Oh, yeah. Was that a thing? Was he in trouble? Oh, I had. Why is this guy on a cliff? Yeah. What is going on? Who is he? <laughs> That's right. I don't know. And and why is he? Oh well, he's off the cliff now. Let's just keep reading. That's the Scott McDulty method, right? It is. Just keep reading. It's how we'll I figure it out. Patented. Until we 
Tried and true. Revisit George R. R. Martin in the summer when we're out in our hammocks in our backyards reading tomes about horrible things happening to made up people in medieval Westeros. Um, I would like to thank everybody for participating in this exciting and informative podcast. Scott McNulty. Sorry, Scott R.R. McNulty. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I, I will need to uh, consult the incomparable wiki to figure out who you people are. <laughs> That's right. You should do that. It's Although Raph the Sweetling is not mentioned in the incomparable wiki either, <laughs> nor, nor is Jason Brightman. It's very confusing. Uh, Daniel R.R. Morin. Uh, see? Yeah. Ha-ha! That was pretty close. How? Uh, thank it's- you for being here. This podcast has gone for so long, I feel as though I've aged a year in the time that we've been That's here. okay. We're going to split the pl- podcast in half and not release the second half for another five years. Good call. Good call. Thank you. And Serenity R.R. Caldwell, thank you for being here as well. It is my great honor and pleasure to be here. I am Jason R.R. Snell, I guess, just to be parallel. And I'd like to thank all the listeners of The Incomparable for putting up with our silliness. And uh, by the way, if you haven't read these books and you've gotten to this point, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Don't you know what a spoiler horn is? Until next time, thanks for listening to The Incomparable. Goodbye. And we, we have a, a podcast dedicated to the small character that Jason is obsessed with. Raph, Raph, <laughs> sweet it's the Raph the Sweetling episode. I mean, we had a real genius podcast. It's always possible. He is. He does run everything. You know, you guys can host your own episodes if you like. And, you know, but of just about one character. About whatever you this want. This is great. We should just have a whole series about, like, one character from Song of Ice and Fire. That's right. The Onion Night podcast. I would Bring be on your that. onions. Yeah. And, the Ned Stark podcast. It ends abruptly. <laughs> <laughs>